So we're in a series right now, and it's called uh, Following Jesus. And I've been saddened over the last couple of weeks that uh, we had a movement going on of, of people that were um, changing their decision about that. Uh, they had said that they were followers of Jesus for a long time, and now that people that are podcasting a lot, they're saying that we're not followers of Jesus, and I was really discouraged. The truth is that as we're followers of Jesus, each one of us have doubts. And today, I just want to acknowledge that. Raise your hand if you've never doubted before. Yeah. My hand's not raised either. We have a faith, and that faith means that we live out in risk, and we live out in our best efforts and with our best knowledge of our experiences, but it doesn't mean we don't doubt. Jesus' disciples doubted, and as we're in this series about following Jesus, I want to enter into this place where Jesus' followers doubted at 11. And so, so I'm recognizing that we left the baptismal tank outside, and the museum's going to open at 11. And so if there are a couple of leaders here, if you don't mind grabbing that out from the patio in the middle of my sermon, that would be amazing. Uh, I, for the rest of you, I want to lead you into Mark. This is chapter 4, verse 35. Each one of us, when we come to know Jesus, when you saw the decisions that were made today in baptism, we recognize that that comes from experiencing God. And those experiences are real. They're palpable. If you've never palpably experienced God before, I want you to receive prayer today because God wants you to have that kind of experience. Well, here, it's almost the opposite. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, after he was telling parables about seeds and things that nobody really understood, they said, he said, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, I know you, there are some fishermen in here. You like to go to Galveston. You like to go to Corpus or Rockport or whatever. And that, that doesn't bother you. For me, I throw up really bad if I go on a boat out to the jetties. You don't want me fishing with you. I don't like it. Just thinking about it makes me sick. So I'm going to stop now. But this movement of what's going on with the disciples reminds us that this is real. They are on the ocean. If you've never gotten sick before in the ocean, I'm not going to remind you about that. But I am going to say that it is a risky place. All of a sudden, a storm can come up. And the disciples know this. In fact, they know lots of stories from the Bible about water and how dangerous it is. The water for them was this huge, amazing, evil place. From the depths of the sea, sea monsters would come. And that's almost where, where hell was and there were monsters. They knew the stories about Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. He was thrown overboard during a storm because it was disobedient to God. He knew the story about the Israelites crossing through. And the water being completely separated so that they could do that. Miracles happening. They knew all of that. And so as they are in a boat, and Jesus is taking them actually away from 
the Jewish territory. It's still under Roman occupation. They're going to Syria, across the Sea of Galilee. They're scared. They're scared because they know that the ocean can destroy them. It's the great dark power. It's evil. It's threatening. And so in Mark 4, 39, it says, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Silence is a kind word. The Greek actually is there is shut up. Why would Jesus tell the waves to shut up? There's something going on here. Shut up. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped. There was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Could you imagine your boat is completely being destroyed in the worst storm? These guys are fishermen. They know what they're up to. Jesus is asleep on a cushion at the helm of the boat inside. And he's saying, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? Can you imagine one of the disciples going, you shut up, Jesus. Like, they're just, what? This is my boat, Jesus. The disciples, though, were absolutely terrified, it says. Excuse me. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So in one of the worst storms that they've experienced on a boat, Jesus says, stop it. Silence. And it calms down. I want to encourage you today that this also happens with us in our worst storms. I have the best analogy to give you today. The storms of life. I mean, there couldn't be anything better that a preacher could use. But the boat filled with water. They said to him, we're going down. Don't you care? And he said, why are you so scared? Don't you believe? Believe what? What does Jesus want the disciples to believe in the midst of a storm that could almost kill them? Believe what? Believe that when they're going to die, that they'll be okay, that they're going to heaven. Don't you have your ticket punched? Don't you? You're not going to hell. Don't worry about it. No, they're not thinking that. If this is the water to die on the ocean is like going to hell. Don't you believe what? That Jesus will save you no matter what, even if he's asleep? Is that what it is? Well, friends, I think what, I, I, what Jesus is trying to say, what I want to leave with you today, is that all of our storms have purpose. All of our storms have purpose. This is what Jesus is asking the disciples to believe, that the storm is not the thing. As much as it overwhelms us, as much as it could destroy our lives, the storm is not the thing. God's power is the thing. And because of Jesus, all of our storms have purpose. I saw this quote from one of my favorite authors. This is E. Stanley Jones. He's a Methodist missionary to India in the 20s and 30s. He writes a book on Gandhi that's eventually used by Martin Luther King as the design for uh, nonviolent protest. He's just this amazing theologian. And he says this, this guy who knows about what it means to be in India during this time. He says, faith is not trying hard to believe. That's anxiety, trying to look like faith. Can anybody, this is me right here. I'm like, 
Oh, we're going to have faith. Ah, can't even get the word out. Faith. Faith. Like that's what God's calling me to is like stress. This is why most of my prayers are stressful. I go my knees and my bed and go, oh, Jesus. And Jesus goes, why? Why are you doing that? Not that we never fight in prayer. That's not what I'm saying. But the, the struggle, the strain, faith is not trying hard to believe. That's not what Jesus was asking of the disciples. That's anxiety trying to look like faith. When you pass from trying to trusting, the basis of your life changes from yourself to God. This is the movement that Jesus is asking the disciples to make in the midst of the storm. Going from themselves as the center to God as the center. This is the movement of what you saw of those getting baptized today. They have moved from themselves at the center to God at the center. It's a completely different existence. Completely different. This is how Jesus gets to go on a boat in a storm to a godless territory. This is how he has the faith to take the disciples with them, even though they're a mess themselves. When the wind obeyed him, they were all afraid. Who is this guy that obeys him? I would think there's another question they're asking themselves. Who are we if we follow him? What's our place in this? Who is this guy? Like I said before, before Jesus got on the boat, Jesus was talking to people about parables, about seeds. That the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like seed scattered, and sometimes it grows and sometimes it doesn't. What if Jesus was empowering them to see themselves like that? This is gardening season. Any gardeners raise your hand? I hate gardening. You know why? Because everything I plant doesn't grow. No matter how hard I try. Even tomatoes. Even cherry tomatoes. Now you farmers, you know, you gardeners, you're like, cherry tomatoes. I breathe and those things grow. Yeah, I plant them and they haunt me. They curse me. John, I'm going to dry up and die. That's what they do to me. This is what... Jesus is saying, you're like that. You are like seeds. I want you to see yourself as so small and yet so trusting that with the right investment, you will grow up and become fruit for the world. And so then Jesus said, let's get in a boat. And they went, all right. They probably knew it was going to storm. They have, you know, 2,000 year ago, thermo, you know, thermostats and all that kind of stuff to know what's going on. I'm using the wrong terminology there for weather. All your scientists are really angry at me right now. They're going to enemy territory. It's Syria. It's, it's the place across the Sea of Galilee where people worshipped other gods. And when they do land, who's surprised that the first person that they see is someone that's completely demon-possessed. In fact, if you ever read stories or heard stories about Jesus casting out demons, this is the big one. When Jesus says, who are you? And the, the guy filled with demons, the demons answer almost with one voice. They say, we are legion. And Jesus casts them out. 
So he goes from talking about seed through the storm where the disciples think they're going to die. And he says, why don't you have any faith? And then he casts out demons right in front of them, the big one. You know what he does then? He gets back in the boat and goes back. And then he heals and raises a young woman from the dead, a 12-year-old. And the power was, was so strong going on at that time that a woman saw him, grabbed onto his clothes, and she had an internal bleeding problem, and she was completely healed. This is the movement of what happens when we enter into storms and then we come out. Faith is built in the middle of the storm. God gives us the storm or allows us to go through the storm. In fact, I think that this storm was caused by Satan himself trying to kill them all because he knew that he had this man trapped across the sea. Tries to destroy them. Jesus says, oh, no, you don't. Shut up. With a word, the sea is calmed. All of a sudden, they see word. The disciples go, wait a second. We're dealing with something else here. All of a sudden, they see Jesus cast out a ton of demons. They go back across the sea. They see him raise somebody from the dead. There's power that just leaks out of him. I mean, pours out of him. And so they're being invited. Now, I think we're being invited to begin this movement of trust, not striving, because I think trust is not striving even when life throws you a storm. Trust is not striving even when life throws you a storm. Jesus encountered people in the midst of the storms they had, demon-possessed, dead, internal bleeding, and the result was healing, demons cast out, freedom, Psalm 65 actually speaks to this character of God, that God actually intervenes in storms like this. This is verse 5, Psalm 65, verse 5. The psalmist writes, You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth will stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. This is what the power of God can do. This is what happens when instead of striving, we trust and we, we give ourselves into that trust. And there's a hope that's derived from it, not a striving. Even in the midst of the storms of life. Now, let me tell you, does that come naturally? Anybody can't pay the bills and it just comes naturally. Oh, I'm just going to trust the Lord. No, you have a bunch of other disciples around you going, trust God, he's going to take care of you. Believe he's got this. Have hope. When your kids aren't following Jesus, when your kids are in trouble, have hope. When your relationships, your closest relationships are on the rocks, have hope. Trust. Where's your belief? Where's your faith? Do you still not Sometimes it doesn't end up rosy. It just, it just doesn't. And uh, the Apostle Paul knew this. He, he 
as he was um, preaching the gospel, he got arrested. This guy who wrote much of the New Testament. And as he was arrested, he was taken by boat, and he was allowed to see the Caesar in Rome. And at each step of the way in the journey, again, storms. He was almost killed over and over again. And when he wasn't killed by the storm, his uh, officers that were overseeing his arrest almost killed him so that, to make sure that he wouldn't escape. This is all in Acts 27. He almost died. And then they were, they were uh, shipwrecked, and they made a fire, and a poisonous snake bit him, and he wasn't killed. He wasn't hurt at all. So finally, he does get to Rome, and he's imprisoned. And I want you to see what these words look like. They're hard words, but I think they're for us this morning. This is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. He writes this to the church in, in eastern Greece. He says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ. Is it okay to doubt? Yes. Should we always be testing what God's up to, bringing other disciples around us, walking through the storms of life with others encouraging us to hope? Yes. But here he says, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ. Look at this. Whether I live or die, all of a sudden the trajectory of all of his life isn't about the storm. His life isn't centered on him anymore. It's centered on God. Do you see what's going on here? The storms allowed Paul to get re-centered. If we don't see our storms as places where we can get re-centered from ourselves to God, then we're wasting our storms. Friends, don't waste your storms. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. You see him dealing with this. He's in prison while he's writing this. He's been through death-defying storms. He's been beaten almost to death. I'm torn between two desires, he says. I long to go and be with Christ. Don't you hear that too? Even my kids get that. They're saying, Dad, I, I wish Jesus would just come back. Which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. And friends, for the sake of Christ, it's better for you to live too. It's better to live in hope. It's better to make that exchange from yourself to God. And to recognize that your storms aren't just storms. They're places where we get to practice and trust. The faith that we gain through the storms gains purpose against the enemy. Struggle is an invitation to surrender. The struggle of your storm is not an invitation. It's not a threat from God. God's not trying to punish you. But it is an invitation to surrender. This is the time. If you are in a storm today, this is the time to surrender. Because it's the faith and hope and trust that you gain today through your storms that Jesus will use when you face the enemy next. 
And not just the enemy you face, but the enemy that others are facing too. All of a sudden, your storm becomes ministry for those that are enslaved by demons, those that are hurting and sick and dead, those that need such desperate help, they're just reaching out for a cloth of the table that you have at your home. I know that some of you today... You struggle, and you struggle with doubt because the last faith that you really tested was a storm you had when you were 12, and since then you were like, eh, this really doesn't work. Your 12-year-old faith isn't handling the storms of your adulthood, and I totally get that. My 12-year-old faith doesn't either. Right now and today, I want to invite you from the storms of your own life right now to surrender. To surrender in the midst of your storm right now and allow your 12-year-old faith, unless you're actually 12, you can just have a 12-year-old faith if you're 12, to allow your young faith to be transformed into a faith that can handle the demons of the world. This is what God is doing in our struggle. This is what he's doing in our storms. That's the ministry I want to lead us into right now. Would you stand with me? And I just want to wait and, and let the Holy Spirit just speak if he's speaking to you. Maybe my sermon was distracting to what he was already doing. I'll just shut up for a second and let him continue to minister to you. The worship team's going to lead us in one more song. And I just want to see what God might be up to.